0: Copy God's Word, Once you find the book of Galatians, chapter five, is where we're going to be at tonight. We are continuing our verse by verse study through the book of Galatians. I'm so glad that you made the decision to get here tonight. And uh, I don't know what y'all did yesterday for Memorial Day, uh, but my family and I, we got to get out in our backyard. We got to play cornhole. We did even sparklers. And we just, man, we had a good time out in our backyard. Now, our backyard has become this place of bounty, of beauty. It's become a wonderland in our backyard. We got little fountains. We got beautiful plants and flowers. The grass is just thick, like you just sleep out there. We put a tent up a few weeks ago. It just felt so cushioned because the grass is so nice. But it hadn't always been that way. When I bought this house, it was barren back there. I mean, it was just like splotchy, and I didn't know what kind of grass you grew up here as I moved up here from the south, and I didn't know if you, you put a Augustine grass, or you put Bermuda grass, or I didn't know what to do, and then all the weeds, I didn't know what, what weeds were good weeds, bad weeds, all that kind of stuff, and it just, it was bad, but here's what we did. We got some help. And we killed all the weeds and we put out some rocks and we made like some flower beds and and then we started planting some things and we planted some trees, some bushes, some flowers and all kinds of stuff, put some mulch out and we made what was barren into something beautiful. We we did what, what we could do. And then we added some things in back into the backyard. And then we said, oh, God, would you send the rain and would you cause these things to flourish? God did what he could do. And now we have this place that was once a wasteland. Now it's wonderful. And we get to enjoy this oasis in the backyard. And and it's just, it's amazing. The reason why I start there tonight is because that's a lot like the Christian life. That that the way that we grow in our faith is that there are some things we've got to remove from our life. There are some things we have to plant into our life, and then there's just moments where we say, oh, God, would you bring the growth? You do what you can do, and then you ask that God does what he can do, but eventually, hopefully, that if you start following Jesus, you'll begin to see something beautiful. And he'll take the wasteland of your heart, and he'll begin to cultivate something beautiful inside of you. That what what maybe you've come in here tonight and maybe there's some barren things in your life but God can make it into something that's bountiful. Maybe there's some things that are just out of whack in your life but God can turn it into a place of oasis and of rest. But but again, you 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 gotta want God to do this. Like for me, like when I remember when we moved in the house, I'm looking at my yard. I'm like. We could do better than this, babe. Like we we got we got we got some work to do. I was seeing all the nice grass and the nice houses. I was like, we got to get some of that grass up in here, right? And I was seeing all the nice plants. I'm like, we got to spin some. We got to we got to get this thing looking good. And so I had this desire for my yard to look beautiful. But my desire it eventually led to some action, and I did what I could do. Again, we asked God to do what He could do. And tonight, you've got to want God to do something new inside of you. Like, like here's what I know to be true like if, if I showed up to your yard I'm like man your yard could be amazing it could be a, we could put some peonies over here we could put this 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 Bradford pear over here we could do these lilies right here and put some mulch and a little rock foul. we could do all of these things and you're like yes yes that would be amazing and I would hand you the shovel you're like I don't want the shovel like I cannot want you to have a pretty yard more than you want to have a pretty yard and the same is true with your faith Like, if you want to see God do something amazing in your life, the only thing that you need to have as a prerequisite is need and want. Like, I cannot want you to follow Jesus more than you want to follow Jesus. And there are going to be some things that we're going to look at in God's Word tonight where God's going to call us to remove some weeds, if you will, and to plant some things of obedience inside of our life, and then to ask God's Spirit to begin to grow some things that are beautiful. But you gotta want it. I want you to imagine with me real quick. This is gonna be a message that you're gonna have to think about you quite a bit throughout the context of the message. I want you to imagine real quick that your faith is, is like a yard, all right? And and so you, you got your faith in mind and I want you to ask yourself, is my yard flourishing? Is my faith flourishing? Are there some things in my, are there some weeds inside of my life that I need to pull out and are there some things that God has for me that I need to plant inside of my life and is my faith flourishing? That's what I want you to ask yourself tonight. And if your faith is not flourishing, then I want to point you to some things that are going to help you begin to see something beautiful take place in your life by the grace of God. And if you are coming here and you're in a place of flourishing, I want to con- uh, encourage you to continue down the pathway that you're on, and hopefully God's Word will confirm that you're headed the right way. And tonight, we're going to look at what God's Word has to say about how we can have a faith that flourishes, how we can have a yard, if you will, that's something beautiful. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message, How to Grow Your Faith. How to Grow Your Faith. And what I want to look at in God's Word is I want to point you to some things that you need to look out for some weeds that you're gonna to have to remove. I wanna point you to some things that you're gonna to need to anticipate and look forward to, some fruits, hopefully, that'll come into your life. And before we leave tonight, I wanna to call all of us to walk in the Spirit. Now, if you're new to the Bible in Galatians, this is the oldest book in the New Testament. A guy named Paul wrote this book. And up until this point, from Galatians like 1 to 5, he's been like tilling the ground and planting the seeds of the gospel. If the gospel's a new word to you, the gospel literally means good news. It's the main message of the Bible, primarily in reference to the life, The death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the soon return of Christ and how that good news impacts the world and impacts you personally. And Paul, he's been talking about how one can be made right before God. And the people, they were like, well, you've got to do all of these things in order to receive the grace of God. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. The grace of God is a gift you cannot earn God's grace. Paul said that over and over and over. And, and you, you can't take from it and you can't add to it. It's God's grace. It's infinite. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And this is what Paul's been working so hard up until this point to help this group of people understand. And so he's been tilling this ground. He's been working this soil, been planting the seeds of the gospel. And it's as if Paul anticipates, after we have the understanding of what makes someone right in a, in a right relationship with God through faith in Christ, it's as if Paul's anticipating his audience saying, well, well how, do you, how do you know that you're a Christian? Like you, you've been bab- baptized, you prayed a prayer, you, you had a spiritual experience. How do you know that you're a Christian? And so Paul, he just kind of begins to say this, like, here's some characteristics, here's some fruits, if you will, of someone whose life has been changed by Jesus. Like Paul would say, you know, how do you know an apple tree is really an apple tree? If, if, if there was just a seed that was planted, he's like, just give it some time. The greatest test is time. And if that seed was really an apple seed, then what's going to sprout is an apple tree, and eventually that tree is going to bear apples. And the same is true with the Christian. If that seed of the gospel was planted in your life, how do you really know that that person is a Christian? Well, eventually they're going to start growing into Christ-likeness, and eventually they're going to start bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul, that's kind of what he's talking about tonight. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. He simply says this, I say then, now let's just stop real quick. He's, he's saying, I say then, basically in light of everything that I've said. He's saying, that, man, if you've been justified or made right before God by your faith in Christ, um, he's saying, if you've chosen to crucify, be crucified with Christ, and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you, if you've chosen to live a life where you're not going to seek the approval of men, but of God, if you were seeking the approval of men, then you wouldn't be a servant of Jesus Christ. If you've been set free in Christ, if you, if you have been liberated in Christ, he's saying, in light of all of this teaching that I've done, he says this walk in the Spirit. That's the mandate, that's the imperative tonight. In light of everything, if you, if you have had your life changed by Jesus, step number two, walk in the Spirit. This is what he's saying. Then he goes on to give a little detail. He says, and uh, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's kind of the thesis of tonight. That's kind of the big idea. That's the big big mandate, the big imperative. You need to walk in the Spirit. And here's what I believe. If we would just simply walk in the Spirit, we wouldn't gratify the, the, the lust of the flesh, if we would simply walk in the spirit, man, we would, we would have a great life before our maker. Uh, we, we, we would be changed internally. If we would just simply walk in the spirit, man, the world would be changed. If we would walk in the spirit, we would usher the kingdom of heaven to this earth. If we would walk in the spirit, we would change the world. So we can close the Bible and say, hey, go, go walk in the spirit. Now, if you're anything like me and you didn't grow up in church, you're like, man, that sounds really like spiritual. That sounds good. You know, like, what'd you learn tonight? A paradigm? I'm gonna walk in the spirit. I'm gonna walk in the spirit. There's somebody cut you off on the highway and you and you go back to some old way, you know, and you're not walking in the spirit no more. And oftentimes you can be like, I'm gonna walk in the spirit, I'm gonna walk in the spirit, I'm gonna walk in the spirit, I'm gonna walk in the spirit. What do I do? Where's the spirit at? Where are we walking, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that way when you read the Bible and it's like, I'm gonna go walk, I'm gonna go do this thing. And you're like, what does this even look like? And yeah, it just sounds so easy, just walk in the Spirit. You know, you come in here, maybe you got some issues in your life, just like me. Well, here's the answer, just walk in the Spirit, bro, and that'll fix everything. And you're like, well, yeah, I get it, but I don't get it if you understand what I'm saying, right? And it's just not that easy sometimes. It's simple to understand the Bible, but it's not easy to live it out. And so Paul, he, he kind of anticipates this, and he begins to give some color to this. And he goes on in verse 17, he says this. He says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And I love this, that the Bible's just so upfront about this. It says, and these are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things that you wish. He says, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So like Paul, he's referring to this, this ancient battle that's existed since the beginning of time. And it's the battle that's within. I don't know if you're here and you've tried to follow Jesus before, but anytime you follow, try to follow Jesus before, it just seems like there's opposition. Anytime there's opportunity, there's always opposition, right? Anytime there's a future with you and God, there's always going to be friction against that, all right? And God's saying like, you know, and through his word, he's saying it's, there's going to be some difficulty. And I, I know you felt this before. Like the things that you know you ought to do, you're like, well, eh, I'm not going to do that. And the things you know you shouldn't do, you're like, yes, I want to do that. And like there's this, there's this tension, there's this battle within. And I love that the Scripture's not aloof to that. I love that Paul's like, I love that he's not just saying, you know, hey, you just need to get, get right with God, so to speak, and then go walk in the Spirit, and that's it. But he's given language to the anguish that, that oftentimes a believer feels. If you are in Christ, that doesn't mean that you're delivered from the presence of sin right now, and that there's still temptations, and there's still, th- there's a struggle. Somebody will ask me, well, are you living free from your sin yet? And I'll say, well, surely, yeah, I've been walking in freedom consistently. Not that I'm perfect, but, but when, when I fall, i get back up quickly. And in the, in the gap between God's revelation in my life and, and, and my activity to be obedient to what he's shown me has gotten shorter and shorter as I followed him. Praise God. But oftentimes people say, well, are you, are you walking in freedom? I'll say, man, I've been walking in freedom. And, and they'll think that that means I no longer get tempted. I'm like, man, make no mistake, your brother on the struggle bus every day, all right? Wake up, and it's just like temptation everywhere, you know? And it's like, it's just temptation visually, temptation audibly, temptation inside of me, temptation around me. But I've learned that when I'm weak and I admit that I need Jesus in my life every day, then I am strong, that I cut off the opportunity for me to sin at the pass of temptation, And just because you walk in freedom doesn't mean there's not a battle that rages on continually. That we'll never be free from the presence of sin, nor the temptations to sin until we arrive in heaven. And this is not heaven. And so Paul, I love that that he's writing about this struggle that oftentimes we feel. And, And then he goes on to kind of give it a little bit more color. He says this, now in verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh, they're evident. So if you're confused about what the works of the flesh are, here's Here's a list. He says, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. He's just saying, et cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. He says, of which I tell you beforehand, because I haven't told you this, just as I told you in the, that time in the past. That those, note this, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. you got to remove the weeds. you got to remove the weeds. These are the weeds that are in the yard of our heart that are causing destruction and that are ugly in the sight of a holy God, and we got to remove the weeds. Now, I think it's important that we understand what Paul's saying here because he's making it abundantly clear That if these things, this list of things, if they're evident and increasing in our life, then we are not walking in the Spirit. He says here in verse 21, he says, If you practice such things, note this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What Paul's saying is that if you practice these things, you're not a Christian. You're not right with God. If you practice these things, it's evident that your life was not changed by God. See, when Jesus changes your life, it changes your life. And when you practice these things, you're not a Christian. Now, now, what does he mean by practice? Let me be real clear. Again, I'm not talking about temptation. Again, the weeds of wickedness, they show up in my garden every day. All right? And so, like, they just pop back up. I've got to go out, pull them out. I've got to be committed to fight that temptation. So when I say, or when the Scripture says that you're practicing these things, here's, here's what he's saying. If these things are evident, and increasing in your life, then you are practicing those things, all right? He's making it really, really clear. He's not saying, do you struggle with these these things or are you tempted by these things? That's all of us. He's saying, if you practice these things. So I want you to think about the yard of your heart real quick, okay? Remember I asked you, I want you all to think about your life, what's going on in your life, and I want you to ask yourself, do I practice these things? I want you to think, is this me? Like when we have a list in the Bible, oftentimes we'll just kind of zoom through the list and we think that God's just kind of you know, like upset and angry about certain things, but we need to slow down, look at the words, look at the categories, and we need to take it personal because the word of God's trying to do surgery on our heart. It's trying to read us. We read the Bible only to let it read us. And God's trying to get specific about the areas in our life that need to change, if they need to change. And so I want you to ask yourself, as we're looking at these categories, do I practice these things? Here's the first one that I see in this list of things that I want to ask you. Do you practice sexual sin? Uh, Paul, he talks about you know, the, the adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lewdness. That's just, those are just sexual sins. Is sexual sin evident in your life and, in, and increasing in your life? Are you looking at pornography? Are you touching yourself and pleasing yourself? Are you sleeping with him, sleeping with her, doing things with him, doing things with her? Are you practicing sexual sin? Are you you looking at people thinking, oh, what I would like to do with that person in a perverted way? And listen, if you're practicing sexual sin, if that is evident in your life and increasing, then you may not be a Christian. Now, here's the second one uh, that I want to ask you. Do you practice false worship? Do you practice false worship? This is idolatry, sorcery, heresies, selfish ambitions. Uh, do, do, you, do you have crystals on tonight? Do you do, you do certain uh, other forms of worship? Do you subscribe to somebody on TikTok that's always flipping tarot cards and you really take that serious? Do you read your horoscope? or Are you, are you into astrology? Do you do, you, do you do kind of some new age things and do you have some good luck things around you? And, and listen, when you read the Bible and you, and, you, and you look at how God takes those things, he says, "I there is one God, no other gods, end of the story. And he would see those things as you trying to bring two things that are in opposition together with one another. And these are forms of false worship, or perhaps the greatest form of false worship that many of us are guilty of, is selfish ambition. Do you live to please yourself? What have you done today, or in the last week, Out of selflessness, or have you woken up every day for the last seven days and just live for you, and it's all about you and how you feel, and how does this thing work for me, and how can that make me better? And oftentimes, the greatest form of false worship is the worship of ourself. And if these things are evident in your life and increasing, you better look out. Number three: Do you have destructive attitudes? He says that the works of the flesh are hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. Now God's doing some internal things. The first few things were external things. Now he's saying, okay, what are you thinking about? How's your disposition uh, and how's your attitude of choice? Are you marked by hatred and contentions and jealousies and, and outbursts of wrath? Do you arbor bitterness and hatred in your heart towards other people? He says, "If these things are, if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God." The Word of God's reading us tonight. He goes on. He, he gives us another category. Number four: Do you have destructive relationships? He says, "Works of the flesh: envy, murders, dissensions." Do you go hang out with a group of people, and then when you get in the car with your roommate, do you start talking about the group of people with your roommate that you just got through hanging out with? Like, oh my gosh, can you believe that she did that, and he said this? And like, what were they thinking? Like, oh, I just got to, like, I'm grateful that we all go to that thing together. But man, they are a piece of work, you know? And like, you just have all of these things towards other people that you're keeping to yourself, but you're not really keeping to yourself. Or maybe you look back on your life, you're like, man, when I was in middle school, like I rolled with some toxic people. And so I got a new group of friends in high school, but turns out they were toxic too. Then I went to college and like got a new group of friends. I'm like, fresh start. Thank you, God. But they were toxic. Everyone in my sorority, everyone in my fraternity, everyone in my college is toxic. And so I got some roommates and we've got it going on, but there's this one I'm not real sure about. I think that he's a little toxic. What's the common denominator in all your toxic relationships? It's you. And if these things are evident and increasing in your life, then this is a practice of your life. And these are weeds of wickedness that we need to remove from the yard of our heart. Or number five, do you do things in excess? Paul, he says again, works of the flesh or drunkenness, rivalries, or excuse me, revelries. This is just kind of like a drinking party or, or an excess of something party. And so he's talking about alcohol here, but just think about anything. Do you do in excess? Do you play video games in excess? Do you sleep in excess? Do you take pills in excess? Do you drink in excess? Do you eat in excess? Whatever it is, do you take something that was meant to be good in moderation, but now you do it excessively and now it's grabbed a hold of you? And if those things are evident and increasing in your life, do you have to go through verbal gymnastics to convince yourself that somehow you're okay with God? When all of the evidence in your life would prove that you're not. Do you, are you mowing the weeds of your yard and only the weeds in your yard, thinking that somehow God is pleased with what he sees in your yard? He can see beneath the surface. And you may be able to manage some of your morality, but God sees your heart. And if you've made a practice of these things, what the word of God tells us here tonight is that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, so I think right now, many of you would, would kind of be thinking, wow, I mean, what, what am I supposed to do here? Like, it, it, you know, if, am I supposed to uh, just kind of just get over this? I mean, what am I supposed to do? Let me, just, let me just kind of share one last hard truth before we move on, that if these things are evident, if they're frequent, and if they're increasing, the Son of God may not have redeemed you. The Spirit of God may not have renewed you, and you need to Repent. Repent means that you change the way you think, and it leads to the change in the way that you live. That you need to wage war against the weeds of wickedness that are in your heart. You need to kill them. John Owen, a famous Puritan from years back, he said this about sin. He said, you be killing sin or it's going to be killing you. And the weeds in our life, we've got to wage war against them. Now, again, the worst thing that you could hear right now is me kind of just saying, hey, hey, you got some issues in your life. You need to stop it. You need to cut it out. And that and you would just kind of resolve to go, you know what? I'm going to identify the bad things in my life. I'm going to remove them. I'm going to go cut down all the weeds. And God's going to somehow be pleased with that in my life. And some of you, you kind of think, you're kind of thinking that faith is all about you doing like a moral cleanup. And then God just wants you to be really, really good. And then that's the end goal of your faith. Like some of you think that if, if we were sinless, then God would be pleased with us. As if sinlessness is the goal of Christianity, But sinlessness is not the goal of Christianity. Godliness is the goal of Christianity. That God doesn't just wanna remove some things from our life, God wants to insert some things in our life. Like if you were to come over my house, and I'm like, man, I, I got my yard looking good, you know, and, and, and you were to come in the front door, and I'm like, bro, wait till you see this backyard. Brother, this brother's been working on his backyard. I'm hyping it up, you know, and, and then we go back there, and it looks like Mad Max is ready to roll through the backyard. It's just dirt, right? And you're looking at me like, bro, what's, what's up with your yard? I'm like, bro, ain't a weed in this yard. Ain't a weed in this yard. You're like, there ain't a grass blade in this yard either. And I'm like, yeah, but this is good, you know, I've got all the weeds out. You know, you see little rocks where there were supposed to be flower beds, but it's just mulch there, mulch on dirt, and then dirt where the grass is supposed to be. You'd be like, brother, there's something wrong with you. This is not good, right? And many of you, you think that that's what God wants in your heart, the yard of your heart. Just remove all of the bad things. And God's saying, no, 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 if you're gonna walk in the spirit, what that means is that you remove the weeds in your life, and then you plant obedience in your yard, so to speak, And then you pray so that God will bring growth and he'll make something beautiful in your life. That the goal of this whole passage, the reason why we're talking about this is because Paul said, walk in the Spirit. And if you're going to walk in the Spirit, part of that process is that you remove the weeds. When you walk in the Spirit, what that means is that you are in a right relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, And he is simultaneously calling you to remove the weeds and to plant obedience and God will do what only God can do and he will make something grow that's beautiful in his sight, that's beneficial to the world and that will bring you much joy. And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And listen, again, I'm not saying that you're ever ever gonna get to a place where there are no weeds in your life. Weeds, they're normal. But listen, weeds are removable. And in the end, the weeds will not win when you walk in the Spirit and God will have his way in your life. So Paul, he goes on to, to kind of tease out what it means to walk in the spirit. And he's saying when you walk in the spirit, God begins to grow some fruit in your life. You begin to see some things starting to come out in your life. And, and, and maybe you're here and you're new to the Bible and you're like, well, what kind of fruits will God start to grow in my life? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul begins to give us a list of the fruit of the spirit. Here's what he says in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, there is no law. Point number two, if you're taking notes or not, you could write, write this down. You're gonna watch for the fruit. You're gonna watch for the fruit. What Paul's saying is he's, he's trying to make it abundantly clear that this is the fruit of the Spirit that will be evident and increasing in your life if you walk in the Spirit. This is what God wants for you. Like, I don't know about you, but when I read a list like this, I'm like, yes, God, would you bring those into my life? I want to be a man that's marked by love. I want to be a man that's marked by joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I want these things to be evident and increasing in my life. And I love that Paul, I love his uses of words. He says, it's the fruit of the Spirit. I love that he calls it a fruit. I don't know if you've thought much about fruit, but I was studying this this week and I thought, you know, why fruit? Why would he use that word? Well, maybe at least there's these four things I want to make, four observations about fruit real quick that I want you to to get. First of all, fruit, it, it grows organically. It grows organically. That fruit doesn't just appear out of nowhere, right? Every piece of fruit that was in the produce section, it came off of a tree that was connected into some dirt and some roots, and it grew organically. It was connected to a power source. That you and I, we cannot grow the fruit of the Spirit on our own. We have to be organically connected to God as our source. Uh, second observation about fruit is that it grows gradually. It grows gradually. It, it takes time, y'all. I think sometimes people be like, they'll, they'll come into a space like this and we're in such like an instant gratification, such a microwave society. And so when it comes to maturity and, and, and living biblically, we just want this thing to happen, man. You know, like I, I prayed like two weeks ago and, and gave it all to God. Why am I still struggling with this thing? Why am I not bearing the fruit of the spirit yet? Well, hey, it happens gradually. It's, it's going to take some time. And if you see a man that is mature spiritually, you see a woman that's mature spiritually, they didn't get there overnight. It took years of faithful obedience. Just like a tree doesn't grow in an instant, nor does a Christian become mature in an instant. But good news, it happens gradually, but it, but it happens inevitably. That when the spirit of God begins his work in you, it's only a matter of time before you start bearing these fruits. And so I was talking to somebody recently and they're like, man, it's just such a struggle right now. It's such a struggle. And, and I, just, I just text back to that person, this will not last forever. And maybe you're here and you're in a season where you're like, man, my sexual temptation is just such a struggle. And like, I just, I just can't imagine a day where I'm not going to struggle to this degree. And I'm just saying, if you will be faithful to sow the seeds of obedience in your life, it will get easier. You will get stronger God will give you more self-control. It will not be like this forever. If you're here, you're so gripped by anxiety and gripped by fear, and you just can't imagine a day where you're not struggling with this thing to the degree that you're struggling with it right now. It won't last forever. Don't give up. It's inevitable. God will do his work in your life. You stay faithful to him. and You be committed to walk in the spirit that fruit it. It comes organically. It it happens gradually. It, it's inevitably that it's gonna that it's gonna take place in your life. And note this, I think this is important that fruit comes symmetrically. It comes together. Uh, that sometimes we'll we'll refer to this passage as the fruits of the Spirit. And we'll kind of look at it and be like, Yeah, I've got some love, but I don't have much joy. Well, I've got I'm like a ten out of ten on the joy, but your brother is impatient. And we'll kind of look at these different lists and we'll measure them as individual things. But note the usage of the word fruit in the Word of God. It says the fruit, not the fruits of the Spirit, that these things grow symmetrically. They grow together. That God isn't wanting to you know, kind of build you up in love and then later we'll work on the patience thing. He's saying that when you become a Christian and when you walk in the Spirit, all of these things are added unto you simultaneously, That when the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life, you see buoyancy in all of these attributes and these characteristics, and this is what God wants for you. This is the yard that God desires to be grown inside of your heart. And so I love that Paul uses the word fruit, and he gives some details to it. And so let's do a little fruit inspection real quick, okay? We're talking about the yard of your heart tonight. We're asking you to look inside a little bit. And if you're here and you claim to be a Christian, I want you to start thinking, okay, well, based upon what evidence? If your yard is your faith and it's inside of your life and that represents your relationship with God, what is the evidence that you are in right relationship with God? What is the fruit, if you will? Well, he gives us several fruit or several aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to ask yourself, are these things growing in my life? The first one is love. Now, Paul could have used a number of words for love, but the most common word that the biblical authors use for love is agape. And it's this Greek word that literally means unconditional love. Are you a loving person? Is unconditional love evident and increasing in your life? Not, not some selfish affection. I love them because I love the way they make me feel. Not that. Not transactional yeah, yeah, I'll only love him if, if he loves me back or she loves me back. No, no not that, but unconditional love. The second one he gives is joy. Joy is a delight in God regardless of the circumstances. It's a delight in God regardless of the circumstances. Uh, one of my mentors and one of my, my colleagues that I worked with back in Louisiana, I talked to him yesterday, and he called me to inform me he has stage four cancer. And he's right in the middle of it, biopsy, unsure of the results, what's the plan, moving forward. And I just said, how, how are you doing? And he said, well, I, I learned, and, he, and he, he encouraged me, he said, I learned a lesson from you several years ago, that you have to preach to yourself, not listen to yourself. And he said, So I started preaching to myself and reminding myself of the life that God has given me. And he said that, that God started bringing joy inside of my heart. And he, and he shared with me devastating news, very matter of fact. And I said, How are you? How are, you sound like you're doing really well in light of all of this. And he has joy that he's trusting God, he's delighting in God regardless of his circumstances as opposed to happiness. I think many of us are on a happiness search, and happiness is always based upon your happenings. You'll be happy when things are going good, and you'll be sad when they're not going good. But joy is altogether something different. Joy is saying, God, I'm going to enjoy you. I'm going to delight in you regardless of my circumstances. The next characteristic he gives of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Peace is resting in the wisdom of God. It's you saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in God. I'm going to rest in his wisdom. I know that I'm single and I'm ready to get married. I know that I'm know that i in a difficult work situation and I'm ready to move out from underneath it, but I have the peace of God because God has done a work in me and I'm walking in the spirit. Do you have peace? Is that evident and increasing in your life? He says, you're going to be marked by patience. Patience literally means you get a long fuse. You know, it, it doesn't take it doesn't take, you know, for, for the person that's not walking with the Spirit, it doesn't take much to flip them, you know, and flip their trigger, right? And, and for, for those that are walking in the Spirit, you should have a long fuse. It may get lit, but it's going to take a while for you to blow, okay? And you've got to be growing in your patience. You've got to be, long-suffering is another word. you've got to be willing to journey with people. Is that evident in increasing your life? The next one is kindness. Kindness is simply you loaning someone your strength. Are you a kind person? This is something God's had to work in my life. As I've walked with the Spirit, God is—he's revealed to me that I'm not—I'm not real good at encouraging people, personally. And, and so God's saying, "Hey, you're not being kind when you do that." You know, I don't know how God speaks to you, but sometimes He grabs Him by the by the collar and says, "Hey, quit that!" You know, <laughs> that's not what I want for you. Get that weed out of here. We need to plant something in your life. We need to plant some encouragement. You need to loan people your strength. That's what it means to be kind, as opposed to just using people for your gain. He says this, another characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Goodness is that you're the same in every situation. A synonym of goodness is that you're marked by integrity. Are you the same person on a Tuesday night that you are on a Thursday night? Are you the same person here in this address of Lee Summit that you are at Power and Light? Do you dress a certain way around me And then you dress a certain different way around them. Are you a person that has goodness and integrity in your life as opposed to being a hypocrite, as opposed to being a chameleon? The next characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. This means that you're true to your word. It means that you're reliable. When when you say you're gonna be there and when you say that you're gonna do that thing, do you actually do that? We... Our commitment muscle in our generation is weak, y'all. And if we're going to be men and women that walk in the Spirit, we've got to be men and women of our word. Some of your coworkers, they don't want to hear about Christ because you can't keep a coffee appointment. And you you claim how much Jesus has changed your life, but then when your roommate needed your help to move out of the apartment, you didn't even show up. That we have to be people that keep our word. we got to be reliable or we got to be faithful. Uh, the, the next one is that you're marked by gentleness. Gentleness literally means that you have power that's under control. It, you're not using your strength for gain. You're, 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 you're another uh, synonym is meek, that you're, you're able to take all of your strength and you're able to use it for good. That there's some men in the house here tonight and some strong men in the house tonight. And men, if you're using your strength to to go and and conquer the world for your own gain, you're not walking with the Spirit. That the men of God should rise up and we should use the, the, the strength that God has given us to go usher in servanthood and sacrifice. There's some women of God here. Some very smart, intelligent, bright, amazing women of God. And if you're using all of that wit and all of that intellect and all of your ability to go and conquer the world for your own glory, you don't have the power that God has given you under control. And you're using it to manipulate people for your own gain. And God's saying, if you're walking with the Spirit, you have power that God has given you, but you have to subdue it and keep it under control. And last but not least, a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. This literally means that you can say no to you. When you want something, typically you get something, right? I mean, this is how we're made. I'm thirsty, I'm going to go get some water. I'm hungry, I'm going to get something to eat. I, if, I, if I see it and I like it, I want it and I buy it, right? That's what we do. And, and oftentimes what this, what this can lead to is that you just you never know how to say no to you. And the more money you get and the longer you live, the more difficult it is to say no to those cravings in your life. And if you're walking with the Spirit, what is evident and increasing in your life is that you are marked by the fruit of the Spirit, which a characteristic of that is self-control. When was the last time you told you no? When was the last time that you, you said no to a craving because, because you're trying to build the discipline of self-control? And God wants to grow that fruit inside of your life. He wants to see that evident and increasing. And listen, when these things are not evident, when these things are not frequent, and when these things are not increasing in your life, then the Son of God may not have redeemed you. And the Spirit of God may not have renewed you. And you need to repent. And again, repent means you change the way you think that leads to a change in the way you live. And so are these fruits evident in your life? Some of you are thinking, man, well, how do do I get this fruit? If that's what God wants from me, and those are the things that should be marking my life, I know that Jesus has changed my life, but I'm not real sure that I have all of those things growing in my life and evident and increasing. How do I get these things? If this is what God wants to plant into the yard of my heart, well, here's what Paul says, and it's a little bit of a reminder. He says this in Galatians 5, 24. He says, and those who are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, here's what he says, They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he just concludes with what he's already said. And if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Point number three. And finally, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. Walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Again, that's the imperative. That's the the mandate. That's the command tonight. And Paul, he's reminding us of what he's already said. He's saying, this is how you live the Christian life. This is the Christian life. Put in a few words. Here it is. You ready? You crucify the flesh and you walk in the spirit. That's it. It's simple, but it's not easy. You're going to need Jesus in order to follow Jesus. You, you can't get out there and rip this and do it on your own. And so note that Paul says this in verse 24, you've got to crucify your flesh. And he adds this criteria, he says, with its passions and desires. It's not just about you cutting the weeds of wickedness. You've got to deal with the root, y'all. So, so many times we want to focus on what we need to crucify. And we'll identify, I need to get rid of lust in my life. I need to get rid of alcohol in my life. I need to get rid of uh, this in my life. I need to get rid of whatever the thing is that when we'll focus on what we need to crucify. But what Paul is saying here is that you've got to get beneath the what and you've got to deal with the why. He says, you crucify the flesh and its passions and its desires that you need to crucify your why. So I want you to think about this. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you sin? I remember when I first started following Jesus as a, as a young adult. I was about 20 years old. And, and there's a lot of weeds in my yard. So if you've come in here and you're like, oh, man, I got a lot of work to do. Hey, <laughs> you in good company. You're just like, a, like a, just a sea of weeds, right, in my yard. So I start following Jesus. I'm like, all right, where are we going to start? And he's like, man, let's deal with these issues over here. We got weeds of lust. We got weeds of arrogance. We got weeds of envy. We got weeds of pride. And so I just get out there and I start just trimming those mugs, man, just getting them down, you know. Started following Jesus. I'm like, man, I can't have these weeds in my yard and claim to follow Jesus. And so I start getting them out. But I never really dealt with the root. And it wasn't until like five years after I was following Jesus, I've been studying God's word. I've been, I've been listening to the sermons, going to places like this. And I'm like, well, I'm not dealing with those weeds I once dealt with in the past, but I've still ha- I still have weeds. What's the problem here? And it wasn't until about five years later that God showed me that one of the roots in my heart was people-pleasing. And I had to do some more work. And I'm like, why am I so concerned about what people think of me? Why am I more concerned about what people think of me than what God thinks of me? And that was, the, that was one of the roots in my yard, so to speak. And as I look back, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. The reason why I struggled with arrogance and lust and envy and pride, and so much of that was, comes back to people-pleasing. And now it's just shifted, and I want this group of people to like me, or or I'm not going to lead in this area. I'm not going to say the hard thing because I I I need their acceptance. And God said, hey, you need to deal with that. That's one of the passions. That's one of the desires of your flesh that you need to crucify. That typically the thing that you think you need to remove in your life is just a surface thing. Typically it's much deeper. Typically, you've got to get to the root and really deal with the issue, and that's difficult to do, that you have to crucify your why. Why do you do the things you do? Why are you living with him? Why are you manifesting things and thinking that God is somehow okay with that? Why are your attitudes so negative? Why are you mean in your relationships? Why do you do all of those things excessively? And Paul's saying you have to crucify your passions and desires. You have to crucify, listen, your temptations. That the way you get free in the Christian life is you recognize where you're tempted. You recognize your desires and you learn to repent at that moment of temptation. Before it ever comes to an opportunity, you say, I'm going to cut it off while it's an infant. And I'm going to crucify my flesh, my passions, and my desires. And Paul, he just says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Again, it's as if he's saying if Jesus has changed your life, then let us go live a life that is changed. And when we sow obedience into our yard, so to speak, God will cause much fruit to come in our life. Now, I think the worst thing that could happen is for you to hear about some of these characteristics and some of these fruits and think, you know what? I'm going to learn some things at church and I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to make sure that these things are in my life. And we just come out and we kind of just poke them on our life like this. And we think, you know what? I'm just going to grow something and, and, and I'm just going to add some kindness and some joy and like I'm going to clad myself with the characteristics of Christ. You know, and I think some of us, we, we can hear a message like this, and we think, you know what, I just need to go out there, and I just need to try harder, and I just need to pull it up by the bootstraps, and I need to just, I need to get love, and joy, and peace, and whatever else in my life, and I'm just going to stick it all on me, and I'm just going to, I'm going to cut the weeds out, and I'm going to go out there and make it happen. And I would just say, good luck. Because if you think that you can just take some of these principles we've talked about tonight, and you can go work them into your life in your own strength, then this is a picture of the tree that you are. And eventually, this fruit is gonna rot and it's gonna fall off. And some of you, you think that you can just do some Christian things and God is looking down on you like, wow, he's just so beautiful. Uh, She's amazing. Wow, look at the joy in her life. But God sees what's beneath the surface. And you and I know this is not a fruit tree. I mean, it kind of looks like when it's got wood, like a tree, it's got fruit, like a fruit tree, but it's not a fruit tree. Why? Because it doesn't have anything connected beneath the surface. But Jesus said it like this in John 15. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And some of you are living this version of faith, thinking that you can go do Christian things without being connected to Christ. It doesn't work that way. And you're going to live a life that eventually will rot out. That the only way you can bear the fruit of Christ is to be connected to Christ. And the way that you do that is you simply say, God, I want you to come take over my yard, so to speak. I have vision for what it could be, but I I, I just believe that you have a greater vision for what you want to do in my life. And I believe that you died on a cross and that you rose from the grave and I put my faith and trust in you. I confess you as the gardener of my life, as the boss of my life. And you say, I'm a sinner, I believe that you're a savior. And would you save me? And when you do that, the Spirit of God moves into your life and he begins to grow and cultivate things that are beautiful in God's sight. If you haven't done that tonight, I would urge you to do so. And if you are a follower of Christ, I would urge you to walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you just for this opportunity to get into your word. God, I thank you for how practical it is. God, I thank you that that all of the big theological ideas that we've talked about thus far throughout our journey through Galatians, I thank you that they come to a head tonight, and that we can look internally, we can look in the yard of our heart, and we can assess, have we really believed in you? Have we really sought to be changed by you? And God, for the person that's that's a new follower of you, God, I pray that you would begin to grow something that is observable in their life that they would be changed from the inside out, that they would find themselves bearing the fruit of the Spirit. When they get around difficult people, they would find themselves being loving. When they get around hard people to love, they'd find themselves being patient. And that over time, you'd allow them to be a beautiful display of your work inside of them. And God, I pray that we would not boast in anything that fruit exists to give, not to get, And God, that would be our posture tonight. God, that we wouldn't glory in our ability to do anything, but we would simply say we, we, we were faithful to plant obedience and pull weeds. But God's the one that made it grow. God's the one that brought beauty. And we would change the world as we walk in the Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.